everyone. Welcome to Just Mental Health with Stefan M, the podcast where we discuss mental health through a social justice lens. I'm Emily. And I'm Stephanie. A quick disclaimer before we get started. We are mental health professionals, but this is not to be taken as professional advice. We are also aware that our privilege may cloud our perspective on some topics, and we not only welcome, but encourage you to message us with criticism and correction. Let's get started. Okay, our business of the week, our small business shout out is Head First Health. Um, So this is virtual um, coaching counseling practice for stress, anxiety, and overwhelm, supporting millennial women and creating a phenomenal life. So um, let's look at their website. Solution-focused counseling. It is a mission to empower you to have a better relationship with yourself in order, in order to optimize your potential to live a meaningful life. So, looks like synergistic offerings, coaching, counseling, video sessions are what they offer. Um, looks like they're... Um, LCSW, LSW, LPC, so licensed clinical social worker, licensed social worker, licensed professional counselor are the um, backgrounds of the people that work there. Um, And the owner, her name is Katie, and you can follow her on Instagram, headfirsthealthcc, and her email is Jenna. Sorry, it says Katie on the, on the Instagram, but I guess the person you would email is Jenna at headfirsthealthcc.com. So reach out to them if you are interested in those services. And now a quick ad. All right, so welcome back after that brief ad. Um, so today we have, um, a returning guest, a returning, returning guest. Um, you've <laughs> probably listened to her on our podcast when she came to talk about neurodiversity parts one and two. You should definitely go listen to those episodes. Um, but today, Jennifer Kendrick is here and we are going to talk about something different than those topics. We are going to talk about infertility and sort of everything else that kind of goes with that um, and what that experience is like for people who are trying to have children, what the social implications are, what the mental health implications are. Um, So thank you, Jennifer, for being back here. Yeah, as usual, it's so nice to see you all. (laughs) So um, with the topic of infertility, Maybe let's start with kind of a brief overview of just what that actually is, what that means. I mean, I think most people listening to it probably know, but I'm sure there's, it's more than just unable to conceive. Like I'm sure there's some other 
pieces that play into that. So kind of how would you summarize infertility and what that means? Okay. Yeah, sure. So medically infertility is um, the inability to conceive by, you know, your normal natural means um, for over a year. Um, But if you were over the age of 35, it's six months. So if you're not able to conceive after six cycles, uh, it is recommended by the American Academy of OBGYNs to consult a professional just to make sure that everything is, you know, how it's supposed to be. So there can be many, many, many different causes of infertility. Um, You can have someone who's not ovulating, so or ovulating irregularly. Um, Polycystic ovary syndrome is very common, a lot more common than people even know. Um, And that can contribute to infertility. Um, These are just the female factors. We'll go into the male factors Mm -hmm. also. Um, And often it is, we're assuming a a heterosexual uh, couple trying to conceive because there's already conception issues if you're a same-sex couple, mm-hmm. right? You already know you're going to have to go mm-hmm. do, you know, extensive measures. Um, but with the same with a heterosexual couple, um, there could be uh, an ovulation issue. There could be an issue staying pregnant. So there could be like a physical structure issue of the uterus and cervix and all of the complicated plumbing um, yeah. <laughs> that uh, female bodies have uh, that contributes to uh, m- miscarriage or an inability to get pregnant. Um, there can be blocked fallopian tubes, basically lots and lots of things can go wrong. So with male infertility, you can have a low sperm count. So they look for a couple of things. They look for the number of active sperm in a sample. They look at motility. So are they moving the way that they're supposed to? And they look at the quality of the sperm that's there. So are they, you know, do they look like they're supposed to with the tails and, you know, the the heads that encompass all the genetic material and all of that. So there's primary infertility, which is where people are just not able to conceive. And then there's secondary infertility, which a lot of times people don't know about. It's where you're able to conceive and deliver a, uh, a child. And then when you try again, you're not able to. So sometimes people have no problems with the first one. Things happen, people age, you know, maybe there was an issue with uh, delivery with their first child or second or third or however many prior children. um, And it contributes to secondary infertility. And that can be really challenging and confusing for people. Um, And the social pushback on that sometimes is a little bit, I don't know if we can like qualify difficulty, um, but there's sometimes that social pushback of, well, you already have one or two, you know, why can't you just be happy with that? Yeah. Why, why do you want more? (laughs) Right. So that's briefly an overview. And then there's genetic factors um, of, that can contribute to uh, people not being able to carry to term. Um, 
And that can be really challenging too to diagnose because you have to do um, a tissue biopsy on a miscarriage or stillbirth. And a lot of times, because it is sudden, because it is traumatic, people don't think to even ask for that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people will have multiple miscarriages before they get a diagnosis of a genetic abnormality that prohibits them from carrying to term. So then you have that repeated trauma on top of the infertility that just makes grieving a lot more complicated. Right, right. So, I mean, because there are so many different things that could impact uh, a person's ability to conceive. And one of the things when you said, you know, there's like the female infertility and there's the male infertility, immediately the first thing that I had just thought of when we talked about infertility was, oh yeah, women who can't conceive, like automatically just assumed that, but it's not always the female bodies that can't conceive. Sometimes it's, it's the male bodies that are not able to, um, to do that for, for you to have even, even conceive at all, let alone, you know, carry to term. Um, Right. And often it's a, it's a Mm multi-factor issue where both parties have, and we've seen more of that because people are delaying childbirth, uh, which is not a bad thing. We know Mm -hmm. that people who delay childbirth past, you know, their late teens, early twenties tend to have children with higher IQs. They tend to be more financially established. Um, They have a lot more resources, both financial and professional and social. Um, But that delay often also comes with a an increased risk of infertility and an increased risk of uh, birth defects, which is kind Mm -hmm. of how I got interested in infertility to start with way back when, when I was in grad school, um, we had to do a research project about a group treatment method. And we chose a couple's treatment model for uh, couples dealing with infertility because it can affect each party of the couple very differently. Um, You know, there's a lot of social pressure on both men and women to have children, but there's uh, an association with that that's different from, you know, men get a little bit less pressure, I feel like. Now, I'm just speaking from my own experience Mm -hmm. and observation. There are some people who, you know, you're not a real man if you don't have biological children, Um, but I think there's less of that and in comparison to women who, you know, hear like, well, why don't you have children? When are you going Mm -hmm. to have children? Uh, What's your your story with that? And, you know, I have heard that personally, you know, I'm 41. I've been with my husband for 16 years and people ask me every now and then, you know, why don't you have children? When are you going to have children? And um, my, my canned response at this point is that's just not something for us. 
That um, is very kind. I would punch him in the face. <laughs> uh, seriously. But I'm I mean, it, that's a solution. Maybe not the best <laughs> solution in this case. Um, and if I know the person well, I will say, well, we tried and it just was not going to happen for mm-hmm. us. That's um, hard. Yeah, it is. Cause it brings mm-hmm. that up. Every time someone asks, you're like, yeah, why don't we, I don't know. Can you tell me like, right. <laughs> not like, not for lack of trying or, you know, not for lack of wanting. And that's sort of the, the stigma, I guess, maybe it's like for some people, it seems very easy to get pregnant, oh, Yeah, you know? <laughs> and, and then for others, mm-hmm. it's, it's a struggle. And it's like, why? I mean, cause the couples that are struggling and keep trying they really really want kids like you know and you know that they're they're putting everything into it they want kids they're going to be awesome parents um and it's just it's just more difficult and yeah sometimes i will flippantly say well do you know of any spare children lying around (laughs) right i mean i can imagine like i can imagine like because having a child is like such a, I mean, it's such a near and dear thing. Like someone that truly wants one, that truly wants a child. Like I couldn't imagine just like the impact. I mean, you mentioned words like trauma and grief. Um, I mean, those seem really real. Like those, that like emotional impact it, it has. And then when people go and ask about it, And it's totally socially acceptable to ask. I know there are things that we need to stop asking people. And one of them is, why don't you guys have kids yet? Have you thought about having kids? And the other one is never ask someone if they're pregnant, even if you're 99% sure that they are. (laughs) Just don't ask, like, just stop asking people questions like that. Unless you see a baby protruding from someone's (laughs) body, it is probably not appropriate to ask them if they're pregnant. (laughs) Unless she's crowning that moment. Mm-hmm. I have also, uh, when people have said, do you have any children? Um, my flip answer now is not that I know of. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that shuts down conversation really quickly. And also is, <clears throat> it makes me laugh. <laughs> and isn't that the most important I thing? I can only think <laughs> of very dark and appropriate responses to those, to those questions. It's like, yeah, because it's just, well, you want to shut it down but you want to make it humorous too as a way to soften the blow of how it, awkward it makes you feel um right and how awkward it, it makes the other person feel and it should but you know people have good intentions that and then they just don't think before they speak right. well the interesting thing to me and i just thought about this um like as we were talking as much as this has impacted me. Um, Emily, you kind of reminded me. It's also made me more empathetic toward people who don't want to have children. Mm-hmm. Because as much as I have wanted to be a parent, I know plenty of people who equally do not want to be parents. And that's also a totally acceptable choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. I don't think that she would mind me sharing this. Um, My sister has never wanted to have children. 
she doesn't really like children. She hasn't liked children even when she was a child. <laughs> and, you know, that's okay. So I, I'm definitely not a person who's like, oh, but you might change your mind. Like, or maybe not. And on the other side of things, I have worked with clients who have not wanted children and have had children anyway for their partner or because of uh, lack of um, resources, uh, access to birth control. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's sort of the other thing, the choosing to be childless. Um, and there's a lot of stigma with that because mm-hmm. uh, it's just sort of, it's just assumed that everyone wants kids. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also, and it's also assumed if you don't want kids that you don't like kids, which does not <laughs> mean that. Um, so yeah, I, just the respecting other people's <laughs> decisions. I mean, it goes as far as like, when we talk about a, a like being pro choice, um, you want to support women um, or just people who get pregnant, their right to choose if they keep the pregnancy or not. We should support people's decisions on whether they either even want to have kids in general. I mean, that's part of the choice, right? So mm-hmm. it, it kind of goes back to that. But um, what, if you don't mind kind of going into what are some of the, some of the things that a couple would have to go through if whether it's primary or secondary um, infertility, you've consulted with a doctor and they're like, all right, at this point, these are your options. Um, And I know there's quite a few now. Could you talk a little bit about what a couple would go through for that? Sure. So you start out where the female partner goes to an OBGYN and then after, you know, the, the basic stuff is cleared, um, meaning like she has a pelvic exam and blood work just to determine that there's, you know, the, the baseline things are, are in working order, so to speak. Um, then she would be referred to a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, so just so I don't have to say that again and again, (laughs) RE would be an RE. Um, There's so many acronyms. And when you go through fertility treatment, you basically get like a crash course in uh, reproductive technology. Um, Meanwhile, the male party would go see a urologist to make sure that everything's in working order there. And that's not something that I necessarily thought about because I think like urology is just like dealing with pee, right? Mm-hmm. right <laughs> I don't know yeah. why I thought that. <laughs> like if you can't pee no, that's good. What I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about the whole whole male system or female okay. system too. There are uh urologists who specialize in pe- female public health. Women pee too, so you know. Sorry. What are you talking about? <laughs> I have the sense of humor of like an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> <I sometimes>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so then you go see a, an RE and you start talking about 
all of your options. So the female partner would have to go through quite a few very invasive medical procedures. So you would have a transvaginal ultrasound, which is um, like a regular ultrasound that's on the outside of your body, except it's on the inside of your body. And they use an ultrasound wand that's about, I'm really bad with measurements, I would say like 12 to 18 inches long that is inserted into your vagina. Um, (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. Um, 12 to 18 inches. I mean, that's the whole, you know, the whole thing doesn't, but yeah. Right. The whole thing doesn't go in there, (laughs) but it does go up pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing something that long, like going in there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's looking at your ovaries just to make sure there's no blockages or anything like that. That's kind of the baseline. Um, After that, and they'll have to forgive me because I did not look up these acronyms ahead of time or what the exact procedures are called, but there you might have to go through a procedure where they inject uh, tracing dye into your uterus to see how it flows through your fallopian tubes to make sure there's not a blockage there. Because fun fact, I didn't know this, um, your ovary and your fallopian tube are not actually attached to each other. Your ovary, there's a little bit of space between there so when you, the egg releases, there's like a tiny little gap where there could be tissue or a blockage or whatever. And then the fallopian tube kind of picks up the egg and brings it down through the fallopian tubes into your uterus where it would be fertilized. Oh. So at ectopic pregnancies, which are incredibly dangerous, is what happens when the egg gets fertilized in the fallopian tube, not in the uterus mm-hmm. itself. Because those and, you can't carry to term. Right. And they have to be um, either chemically extracted or mm-hmm. sometimes you have to have surgery. And that can be really scary. Those can be life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Those are not viable pregnancies. Um, and a lot of people very much... Um, stress about those because you'll have the symptoms of being pregnant you would have a positive pregnancy test so it seems like you're pregnant emotionally intellectually you're pregnant but it's not a viable fetus or viable egg Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. so there's that i think it's an hsg histoscalp something or other (laughs) so there would be that um there's a lot of things that can be detected with that endometriosis um scar tissue from infections all kinds of things so once you've done all those things um you get into the the art the assisted reproductive technology art the art Um, isn't that lovely yeah it's interesting So you can, there's a lot of different options. You can do an IUI, which is an intrauterine insemination where the male partner ejaculates. They take the, uh, sometimes they sort through the the sperm. The turkey-based, no, just kidding. Well, that's, (laughs) yeah, that is actually intrauterine insemination. It doesn't really work like that in the doctor's office. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that's also used if someone is a carrier for genetic abnormalities. And I, I forgot to back that 
to back up, when you go to the OBGYN and like your primary care doctor, they're probably going to test you for genetic abnormalities, just so you know that you're not both carriers of something that would uh, be incompatible with life. Right, right. Yeah. So sometimes doctors will use art to sort through the genetic material. So if somebody uh, is a carrier of like cystic fibrosis or fragile X syndrome, they'll select out the uh, sperm that don't carry that and only use those. Oh. So that's kind of like the lowest level of art. Um, That one's often covered by insurance. It will usually run you $500 to $800 per insemination. Wow. And sometimes Um, it takes multiple, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Generally, I think people are usually told three to five is kind of the maximum. Yeah. Um, And then after that, you need to move on to more extensive procedures. So I think more people know about IVF now than Mm -hmm. maybe used to. Um, IVF is in vitro fertilization. They used to be called test tube babies, which is ridiculous because they're not grown in a test tube would be awfully convenient if they were right, um, right. that's of babies uh, <laughs> sorry there's that dark humor again um so that's when you extract the uh ovum the unfertilized eggs um combine those with the sperm you see which ones start multiplying and then those are re-implanted back into the uterus. But in order to do that, you have to, as a female person, um, inject yourself with a whole bunch of drugs. Um, mm-hmm. And usually there's injections associated with IUI too, to encourage uh, ovulation, to make sure that you've got you know as many eggs as you, you can. Pretty much like and, hormones that you're yes. giving yourself hormones yeah. to yeah, yeah start that process. And they're... They're um, subcutaneous injections. You inject them into your belly. Um, And medications cost money. Um, The injectables are not cheap. Um, So when you're doing IVF, there's a lot more injectables. So you're going to first um, do hyperovulation. So you're going to get as many eggs as you possibly can because you're looking for quality Um, and a lot of times you can only get that with quantity Mm -hmm. and one of the tests blood tests that they do at the OBGYN is um, and I have forgotten what it is called Uh, it it is a test to measure about how many eggs you might have Um, I mean there's no way to do like an exact count but if you are not producing enough eggs, then your options go in a completely different route. So they harvest the eggs, then you get, you inject yourself with anti-ovulation drugs so that you're not going to ovulate again while they uh, implant the fertilized eggs in you because they don't want you to have a period. Oh, right, right. So after you have your first period post-retrieval, then you start the injections and then they can implant 
the fertilized eggs. Um, not all of them will take. Often they'll implant two or three. They usually don't do more than three because of the risk of multiples. And when you have, when you're carrying multiple uh, fetuses, your risk of miscarriage and stillbirth and complication goes way, way up. Um, taking fertility drugs already makes you more susceptible to having multiples. Um, then, you know, there's family history. Identical twins, identical triplets are just kind of a fluke. Like they just happen. Nobody really knows why. It's because the egg fertilizes and then does does its thing. <laughs> um, fraternal twins, however, are hereditary, um, usually skipping a generation. So if your parent is a oh. fraternal twin, you are more likely to have fraternal twins yourself. Wait, identical twins are not hereditary? No, they are all? not. No. Yeah, oh, I I thought that too, but it is just yeah. a weird fluke. Huh. Interesting. But fraternal twins are um, your risk of having multiples also increases as you age. Um, I have called it the going out of business sale. <laughs> 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 You're about to close up shop, so like let's get as many out there as we can. Um, <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor about these things. Right. Um, also, if you were over 5'5 five five as a woman, <laughs> and the idea is that you have a little bit more space in your uterus for fetuses to grow, so it's possible to uh, have multiples. That's, that's so interesting. There's so many that of these really seemingly random factors uh -huh. that could make you, if you're a tall woman yeah. over a certain age... And with a family history, with family history, twins, you go get twins, take fertility <laughs> drugs. Yeah, yep. yeah, makes it much more likely that you will have multiples. Wow. <clears throat> so yeah, once that's done, and you have to do the the long waiting period, which is usually the longest two or three weeks of anyone's life, and then if you're fortunate, you get a, preg a positive pregnancy test, and then they. Uh, test your hormone levels for the next couple weeks just to make sure that they're going to stick and um, then you hopefully have a healthy pregnancy and carry to term wow and if you don't you start the whole process over again is there a limit to how many times they'll let a person go through that whole process and not that I know of, um, I think the, the primary limit would be financial, right? Because mm -hmm. I know people who have taken out second mortgages, um, have gotten loans in order to have a child. Wow. Yeah. Is that like, so the financial piece, would you say this? Cause there's a lot of like, obviously sexism when it comes to medical medical stuff and insurance coverage do you think that plays a role here sure yeah <laughs> can you talk about that a little bit yeah I mean I think that I think so we were really lucky our insurance covered a hundred percent of fertility treatments the medication portion of things uh, came out of our um, prescription budget so some of it was covered but it was still you know expensive um i think there's kind of a social bias of well 
people just have children. Like mm-hmm. if so, if you just can't just have a child, there must be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably plays a little bit of a role in things. Um, it's not something I've given a whole lot of thought to, honestly. So yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that some more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you know, along with the very likely, you know, sex sexism issue there's i mean it's classist in a lot of ways too because if you Mm -hmm. can't afford it if your insurance does not pay for it i can't imagine i mean i don't know but i would doubt medicaid would pay much of anything for those and so um you know if you're if you're poor or you just don't have the means to take out loans or, or another mortgage or um then you're you're out of luck. You, those options are not available to you. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that people say when you tell them that uh, you've been through fertility treatments and you can't have children is, well, you could just adopt. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing, um, Emily, that makes me want to punch people. Um, <laughs> because mm-hmm. as social workers, we mm-hmm. all know it's not that easy. Mm-mm. Even adopting domestically, if you adopt from foster care, it's still expensive. You have to pay for home studies. You have to um, be prepared, you know, basically have everything set up. Like I have a friend who adopted her son when he was eight and her home study, she basically had to prove that like he had his own bedroom and his own bed and everything. And that was kind of traumatic for her because she's like, I've got to set all this up and I might not even get him Mm -hmm. because his parental rights hadn't, his parents' parental rights hadn't been terminated yet. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to prepare all of these things and then stare at an empty room for Mm -hmm. something that's not guaranteed. The same way as going through fertility treatments, it's not guaranteed. So that there is a trauma in that for the parent or the uh, adopter, you know, the person wanting to adopt. But also, this is a little bit of a separate topic, and we might have a guest on here in the future to talk about the trauma of being an adoptee. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other thing too. It's you, Mm -hmm. you can't just tell someone like, "Well, just adopt." Okay, but there's a lot of ethical issues involved in adoption domestically and internationally. Um, There's a lot of uh, disadvantages and and also predatory behavior by adoption agencies on on poor women or or women of color, women, you know, that are non-American. So that's not always the just the best option or the best solution. Also. Just let me get on the soapbox real quick and then we'll get off of it. There is when you adopt and we know this as social workers that have worked with kids in foster care. um, If they're in foster care, there's a really high chance that they have trauma. And nobody ends up in foster care or in like lined up to be adopted because they've had a fantastic home life. Right. Right. And so that is another thing to consider, not only the trauma of the adoption and the separation and, and what kids go through, through that whole process and what the parents go through, but just the trauma that they may come with that you have to then work through. And there's a lot of, unfortunately, we see a lot as 
social workers and mental health professionals where foster placements or the worst when they've gone through the process of adopting and it failed or, you know, and then the kid goes back into the system and like Mm -hmm. talk about trauma, you know, just adding to, um, adding to attachment issues. Um, so it's, it's not the, the, the cure, it's not the answer for everyone. And And even the language that that. we use around adoptions that are terminated Mm -hmm. or disrupted, Uh we use failure, disruption, you know, termination. None of those are positive words. Nope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it make everyone feel like a failure. Right. People Mm -hmm. throw that around a lot with infertility and with, (laughs) with, uh, you know, like, pro-life people Mm -hmm. are like oh well if you don't want the baby just put them up for adoption like there's so much that goes into adoption that people just as if carrying a child to term (laughs) and then giving them up or you know quote-unquote giving them up right because that's the term we Uh use is not also extremely traumatic for the mother and the child yeah Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. it's um, not the, the fix all. Yeah, well, I just saw a, another article recently about how um, statistically the abortion adoption argument they're not equivalent mm-hmm. at all. Very few people who are uh, barred from getting abortion do place their do carry to term and place those children for adoption. More often. Uh, barring someone from legal abortion just encourages them to seek illegal abortion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which right because dangerous and right. yeah yeah because it doesn't just make any sense why would you if you did not for whatever reason did not want the pregnancy and you're like you can't have an abortion oh well i'll just live this way for nine months and then deal with i mean you're not going to do that no. nobody's going to want to do that that's most people who get pregnant and end up placing a child for Mm -hmm. adoption have that intention fairly early on right yeah but um getting back to the topic of infertility um if you feel comfortable do you mind talking a little bit about the mental health impact it has on people that that go through this sure i mean i think that there's a whole lot of individual stuff that happens, you know, people process um, the experience of infertility on their own time with their own coping skills, their own baggage. Um, But you add on top of that, if you have gone through fertility treatments, you got a whole lot of hormones that are complicating Mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, And so that brings its own baggage with it. Um, and then you've got your experience as a couple. So I've worked with couples before where one of them was really invested in the, we're going to have a biological child thing. Um, and the other was not, was not as invested that it was like, they were kind of indifferent to it. Um, Mm. and that can create a lot of conflict, especially where money is concerned, because, and if one person is just determined to have a biological child, 
how much are you willing to spend on it, especially when your partner is not as focused on that. So it can cause mm -hmm. a lot of conflict between couples. Um, I've seen this beautiful um, diagram that couples have used before. And if I can find it again, I'll send it to you all. Um, but it's a circle and it's divided into quadrants. And the quadrants are like, I'm doing well and I'm doing poorly. And then I want to talk about it and I don't want to talk about it. And the idea is that you put it on your refrigerator and you put a magnet where you are. So I'm doing poorly and I don't want to talk about it. Um, and then you put inside that circle what you need instead. So you yeah. brainstorm some couples coping skills beforehand. So if you're doing poorly and you don't want to talk about it, like maybe you want to like put, we're going to play a board game or like something completely because sometimes watching a movie can trigger some emotions because uh, movies don't come with warning labels um, or you know let's go out and get a drink let's plan a vacation let's you know do whatever um, and then you know I'm doing well and I want to talk about it different coping skills for that and I've recommended that to some couples and they found it really helpful um, that's just so a communication I love tool. that. Yeah. 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 Then that would be great to use for so many different things for yeah. parents and kids. I'm thinking especially teenagers mm -hmm. <laughs> that may not know what they want you to do <laughs> from day to day. But, you know, so that's great because that's a good way to not only check in with yourself of how you're feeling and what you need, but then to communicate with your partner without having to tell them exactly what it is that you need. Right, because mm -hmm. I think sometimes a, a grading kind of argument starting thing is, how are you doing? Like, <laughs> I'm tired of people asking me. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. One of my friends refers to that as um, the how are you therapist voice. So like, <laughs> I know you're not doing well, so I'm going to tread really carefully. And that can be very like off-putting and activating for a lot of people. <laughs> Yes, it can. Sometimes they just, <laughs> I do that. Oh man. Sometimes they just sit down in your office and you can just tell by the way they walked in and sat down and you're like, so how you doing? They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then they cry immediately. Yeah. Immediately. I'm just observing. I'm sorry. <laughs> just reading your aura. Cause that's yeah. really what we do. Right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So I think Couples therapy, of course, I, I'm really biased toward couples therapy as a couples and family therapist. Um, definitely a resource for people, whether they feel like they're doing fine or not. I think it's good to get into couples therapy to stay ahead of the problem. Um, and that's also an opportunity to um, talk with a neutral party about all of the things that will change if you do have a child. Um, individual therapy, there are support groups. Um, there's a great support group called Resolve. 
that is online and it also has national chapters. There's a national chapter here in Louisville and I've already sent you all the website for Resolve. Um, they're great. They also have um, education tools on their website so that when you come out of the RE's office and you have a paper with 500 different things on it and abbreviations, um, you can look that up at your own leisure and understand what it is that's happening. That, yeah, that's very helpful. Um, mm -hmm. And then I guess my, my other closing thought is, um, I would love if not only do we stop asking the question, when are you gonna have kids? But assuming that children make a family, mm -hmm. um, my husband yeah. and I and my and our dog and our cat, we're a family. Yep. Mm -hmm. We were a family before we had pets, too. Well, yep. I came mm -hmm. into the marriage with the cat. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a blended. Family. That's what I I say. Like I had animals. My husband had animals. When we got married, we're like, it's a blended family. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. all our fur babies now, you know, and you're yeah. right. Family is family is what you decide it is. I mean, right. it, you don't even have to be related um, through by biology or marriage. If right. maybe it's your neighbor, you know, maybe it's your best friend. Like family is who you decide it is. Maybe it's you mm -hmm. and your 4011 cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And we have to, um, we can't end without reading these things uh, you guys put in the chat. Um, ah, why don't you no. have kids? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let me read it. Can't okay. get them into my van. Because I can't get them into my van. Do you have children? Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> That's a dark humor we were talking That's about. Obviously. <laughs> I will continue to say, yeah, do you have any children? Not that I know of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really the best one. The safest one. Yeah. You're obviously not endorsing anyone kidnapping children. Don't kidnap children. But, you know. <laughs> Please but don't. if you need to joke about it because it gets you through mm -hmm. the day or the baby shower, that the other thing just oh, yeah. also, if going to baby showers and being on Instagram and Facebook are things that are not good for your mental health. Don't do them. Don't force right. yourself to do that. Um, I have in the past muted some friends after they've announced their pregnancies. Sometimes I'm totally cool with it. Sometimes not so much. Um, and you just kind of have to know your own mental health and where you can be to kind of prepare yourself. Do you feel like you're going to be on guard all the time? Or would it be better just to, you know, open your Instagram and see lots of pictures of cake? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, always cake, but always yeah. <laughs> Got to follow all of those British Bake Off folks. Right. <laughs> well, thank you um, again, of course, for being on here. Thank you. Um, but also for talking about a issue very important. We, we joked around a lot, but it is a very um, difficult issue. There's a lot of grief and trauma and loss and, and it affects everyone around the couple. Yeah. 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 One in eight Maybe. women will experience infertility in their lifetimes. Right. Yeah. Right. And the joking around, you know, it's, it's 
you know, often uses the coping, right. you know, a way to cope because this is like, this is a very, it's a very, um, like difficult. I mean, I would imagine, obviously, I don't know from personal experience, but like just what an impact that can have on yeah, it's a sensitive on a topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you, I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Yeah. For I'm you to talk always... about your own experience as well, a little bit, you know, it's personal to you and that's, um, it's awesome that you would come on and, and share that. I and mean, sometimes we think, you know, well, our therapists don't have issues. They We're know everything. People. Like, no, we all have issues. Everyone has their own. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Emily's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> She's perfect a whole in my eyes. On my OCDs. So, right. <laughs> so, you know, we all, we, everyone's got trauma. Everyone's got baggage. Your therapist is a human and they have their own things. So it's also just good to know because they might be able to empathize with you in certain ways. Um, And even if they're not sharing directly mm -hmm. what they're dealing with, they're still um, empathetic human beings who Mm -hmm. have also been through things. So I just want to real quickly plug um, my podcast, which is called Your Therapist Knows. And you can find me on Instagram at behavioral.health.advocate. Um, I think underscore LMFT. I think Stephanie we'll tag you. It will tag me. Yeah. So we'll we'll, have, we'll tag her. You know, like we always do in the um, in the post, so that you can just click on that to find it as well. So yeah. So thank, thank you. All. All right. That's our show. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on where you get your podcasts. And if you use Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate a rating and review. And don't forget to follow the show's Instagram for updates on new episodes at Just Mental Health Podcast. And that is with a period between each word. This is Stephanie. And Emily. I'm Jennifer. Signing off. Thanks for listening.